all you hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 17, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. It's great to see all of you, I hope you all had a fantastic week, and I hope that you are all actively avoiding the bad weather that's out there. It's going to be rainy in Florida, across the board for the next couple of days. There's been some horrible ice in Texas, obviously, that horrific car in, car crash, that what, like a hundred car pileup on the interstate, Interstate 35. Hope you guys are staying safe out there. And of course, lots of snowstorms in the Northeast. So weather is going to be a problem this weekend. And for the first time in a long time, we don't have football to watch while we're stuck inside but that's okay we've got to we've got some football to discuss today either way we've got an absolutely packed show let's go ahead and get into it starting with uh some news that developed yesterday and was something that i was extremely shocked to see i i did not think that this would happen so soon i thought it would have happened eventually but i did not see it coming so soon uh jj watt has asked for his release from the texans and the two parties have mutually agreed to part ways. So the Texans are releasing defensive end J.J. Watt. Uh, J.J. released a video on Twitter announcing that he is being released from the Houston Texans and that they have mutually agreed to part ways. Watt specifically did a video on Twitter because he, quote, wanted everybody to hear it from him. And that that struck me as being really, not not peculiar, but... Uh, very specific. Uh, there, there was definitely a specific reason that Watt, apart from like Watt just wanting people to hear it from his own mouth, there was definitely a specific reason as to why he wanted to set, give out the information himself. Maybe so there was no forced misconception or forced narrative from the media, or maybe he just wanted to be uh, very personable in the announcement because J.J. Watt in Houston, uh, they mean a lot to each other, and I'm sure it was a very difficult decision for him at the end of the day. Wow, uh, things cannot get any worse for Houston. <laughs> they legitimately cannot get any worse for the Houston Texans. And I know that as I say that, that means that they absolutely will get that much worse for the Houston Texans. I mean, the significance of J.J. Watt to the city of Houston is gigantic. Uh, Watt has donated millions upon millions of dollars to different Houston charities. And of course, when um, Hurricane, oh, what was the name of that hurricane? Uh, I apologize for not remembering the name of the hurricane, but a, a, a hurricane that blew through Houston a few years ago. He set up in uh, a charitable fund that raised over $27 million for those families and those people that were affected in that hurricane in Houston and the surrounding areas. So, I mean, J.J. Watt loves Houston. He's done plenty of charitable work. He's done. He's gone out of his way to give everything that he can for that city and for that franchise, both on the field and off the field. So the fact that the Texans are losing somebody like that is mind-blowing to me I mean is Cal McNair really that stupid like how far is he going to let Jack Easterby completely tank this franchise I cannot believe that I mean I I assume that at one point or at some point within the next year that JJ Watt would be leaving the Houston Texans he had one year left on his contract anyways so I assume that they were going to trade him at some point but I didn't expect them to just expect uh, Cal McNair and Jack Easterby to just flat out release JJ Watt I was genuinely not expecting that which is why you know this news caught me completely si by surprise and you know what irritates me about the situation is why does Watt get released, but the Texans are still, they still have their talents 
in Deshaun Watson? Why are they with or why are they holding Deshaun Watson and Jack Easterby's fun world? And they're just letting JJ Watt walk when he asked. Uh, it's it's a very similar situation between the two players. They feel the same way. They have the same critiques, but one player gets to walk and one player stays. And before I say anything else, I recognize that the logical answer is that Watt had his worst season in his 10, uh, 10 or 11 seasons in the NFL, and he would be a $17.5 million cap hit this next season. He's he's 31, so he has maybe four or five years at his prime before uh, he starts going into the latter stages of his career where he's not going to be as good. And uh, Watt actually acknowledged that in the uh, about one and a half to two minute video that he did release on Twitter talking about his release from the team. I understand the football logistics of it. I understand why this move makes sense. But in, in light of what's going on on the other side of the franchise with Deshaun Watson... It, it it's it's a bad look, um, apart because apart from the money, what's the difference between Watt and Watson's situation? Why do the Texans cling to life to Deshaun Watson but not to JJ? Is it really because of the money? Is it because Watt is white and Watson is black? I and, and I'm not normally one to force race into a narrative. I absolutely can't stand when the media does that. I hate, I just hate that. It, I, I hate the forcing of, of race into a narrative that doesn't need it. Um, and, and of course, I'm not saying that a race doesn't matter, of course, in, in these discussions. But when it comes down to like resolutions like this, where the Texans are holding a quarterback in Deshaun Watson, and they just let go... J.J. Watt, who has meant more to the Houston organization than any player has before. It's like I'm, I'm genuinely trying to figure out answers. Like I am checking off reasonable answers as to why they would do this. And it's like that that question needs to be asked. Like why? I, I have a hard time finding an answer for that. And it's not fair to Deshaun Watson. No offense to Deshaun Watson. I'm not trying to compare apples to oranges when it comes to things like charitable donations and and donating. I mean, donating game checks or whatever have you. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson has done fantastic things with the Deshaun Watson Foundation. But compared to J.J. Watt, J.J. Watt has meant so much more to Houston for so much longer than Watson means to Houston. So it continues to blow my mind that, you know, Houston, or Houston is still sinking their teeth into, into Deshaun Watson, but just let the franchise's greatest player in the history of that franchise just walk with not so much as an argument. You know, J.J. Watt sat down with the McNairs that day, and then they agreed to mutually part ways. And there's been this whole saga with Deshaun Watson and the both Watson and Watt want to leave for similar reasons, but they let one person go and they let the other, and, they, and they're trying to hold on to the other one for dear life. And yes, as I said, I understand the football implications of this. Watt is six years older. He's 17 point. He's a $17.5 million cap hit one year left on his contract in a football sense. It makes sense. But in comparison to what Watt means to that football team and what Watt means to that city, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And things could not be worse in Houston. They genuinely could not be any worse in Houston. I mean, what the hell is going on down there? Genuinely. I, I'm, I am so ready for Scooby-Doo and the Mystery Ink Gang to just come out and unveil this mystery and catch this monster and rip off the mask and have it just be Jack Easterby. I, 
<laughs> that if you, I know that people in that organization have defended him to their death. Deshaun Watson actually one of them, but when you take a look at the timeline of events as to when Jack used to be got into a position of power in that organization to now, there is no other way to define it other than, or there is very uh, few other ways to look at it than as look at the coincidences and the in the in the series of events after he got into that position of power. It, it, it's all been downhill from there. Uh, I am so ready for people to remove the mask and have um, Jack Gears to be be the one behind the trauma uh, for Texans fans. I, f I feel so bad for Texans fans. I mean, it genuinely could not get any worse. So I, I, I was expecting Watt to leave the Wex, uh, leave the Wexens. I was expecting Watt to leave the Texans at some point. I was expecting them to trade JJ Watt. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who else may decide to take uh, their chances elsewhere with that franchise. I mean, Lord knows that I would. If I'm a free agent or if I'm a member of the Houston Texans organization right now, I am getting the heck out of there. I understand that not everybody holds the same ideals in the locker room. There are different people with different personalities, and they may feel differently about the things that are going on in that franchise. But, I mean, if, if there's smoke in the building, you need to get out of the building because there's a fire. Um and it's going to be interesting to see where other dominoes fall. And it's really just interesting to see how fast and how quickly the Houston Texans have burned. I mean, a lot of people will take a look at the other team in the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and say, wow, they were in the AFC Championship one year. And then in two years, they are completely out of it and they're going to start their rebuild. They've blown everything up. And people were talking about how fast that transformation was. And I think the Houston Texans are in some kind of speed running competition because it looks like they're about to blow past... <laughs> The Jacksonville Jaguars when it comes to completely nuking their franchise. I genuinely cannot see how things could get any worse for the Houston Texans. If you're a Houston Texans fan, I apologize. I'll be more than happy to grab a beer with you to try and dull your pain, but things cannot get worse. And I, again, I don't understand apart from a football perspective. I understand the monetary and, and, and financial side of things. I understand that move financially, but sometimes you just need to take the cap hit when it comes to having a player like JJ Watt, who's not only been loyal to your franchise, but loves Houston to death. I mean, you watch his, his, he, you watch his Twitter clip, and he looks like he was on the verge of tears. He loves Houston so much. He loves that city, and that city loves him. It's it's the worst heartbreak I think that J.J. Watt could possibly feel at this point. Um, I don't know where J.J. Watt is going to go. I don't know what team he is going to go on. Uh, there are a couple of ideas. I think New England makes a lot of sense. New England was uh, really good in the pass game, uh, but not so good in the rushing game on defense. And, and I know that J.J. Watt is primarily a pass rusher, but the Patriots have $62 million in cap space. Um, so they might be a good destination. There's obviously the Steelers, who are a fun name to throw around because Watt's two brothers are there. I don't think they have the financial opportunity to be able to sign Watt. Uh, Green Bay, uh, Cleveland are a couple of other names thrown around. So it's going to be interesting to see where Watt goes. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of buyers in the J.J. Watt sweepstakes, but absolutely insane that J.J. Watt has uh, left Houston and that he is 
uh, parted ways with the McNairs and Jack Easterby uh, in that front office. It's absolutely insane to me. I did not think that I I, I honestly did not think that J.J. Watt would get out of Houston faster than than Deshaun Watson. And again, I don't like bringing race unnecessarily into the narrative, but I am running out of answers. I, I am literally running out of reasonable possibilities as to why Watt was just sent out of Houston like that when he means so much to the franchise, regardless of what the money is. So, uh, some stuff is going down in Houston. It's it's going to be interesting to see how this develops over time. Uh, I was watching uh, the Trevor Lawrence. Uh, the Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> he is the Trevor Lawrence. I was watching uh, Trevor Lawrence's pro day the other day, and just a couple quick comments on that. I, I mean, I just I wanted to include this in the show because I felt like it was worth mentioning. Uh, I don't remember a, a a pro day where a coach is literally standing like five feet in front of a player like that. Um, I don't necessarily, and, and for those of you who are really into that stuff, let me know if that's something that actually happens more frequently than I would believe. Because from where I'm standing, I, I from the few pro days that I've watched, obviously there's coaches and scouts on the sideline. I have never seen what I saw in that Trevor Lawrence pro day where Urban Meyer and Dabo Sweeney were literally standing about five feet in front of Trevor Lawrence, watching him work out and go through his uh, 30 to 35 throws. Uh, I, I thought that was absolutely wild, and I guess if there's any doubt that the Jacksonville Jaguars want Lawrence with the number one pick, that kind of just went out the window because there was no other clo- there was no other coach that was relatively close to Trevor Lawrence during that day. Um, as for you know what I saw, I'm not necessarily the biggest quarterback guru on the guru on the planet. I played defensive end in in high school. Um, so I only know how to chase quarterbacks. But as as far as what I saw from the from Trevor Lawrence, um, he looked a little thin. Uh, obviously, that's because he's not lifting as much. He's he's actually going to be in soldier surgery right about now. Actually, uh, on his off shoulder, he's uh, repairing a torn labrum, I believe. Uh, he looked calm though. He looked in shape. He looked like every th- every throw that he was making looked absolutely effortless. Um, he didn't miss a few passes, but he showed some great velocity when he needed to down the seam and some real good touch on the sidelines. Um, I, w- one thing that I really noticed uh, quite vividly uh, was he is really, really good on the play action, and that's really good for, I think, the offense that the Jaguars are going to try and implement. Um, really good snap after the, the the play action fake. He turns his shoulders around very well. Um, very, very good and having a transition between fake handoff and then twisting around not only his hips but his shoulders to be square downfield. Uh, I thought that was all really good. But again, the, the the thing that really impressed me the most was how calm he was for this pro day. And I know it's just a workout. It's not like uh, a, a 15. It's not like, you know, he's answering the final question on who wants to be a millionaire and uh, everything comes down to this. It's just a workout. But um I, I really I really liked what I saw from him. He looked calm, he looked collected, and he looked effortless. Uh, and he looks like he is a definite candidate for a head and shoulders ad. <laughs> That's what he looked like. Uh, and again, Urban Meyer was standing directly in front of him, and I can't recall a pro day. And again, if any of you out there are really invested in watching these pro days more frequently I tell me tell me if you know that's a common occurrence where coaches are just standing blatantly in front of prospects I was under the impression that most of them stayed on the sidelines with the scouts but Urban Meyer was right there and Urban Meyer was right there while a whole bunch of 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 feces a, a, a poop storm was <laughs> a poop storm uh some stuff was going down uh in the meantime uh with Urban Meyer uh Urban Meyer 
came under a lot of fire on Thursday and Friday <clears throat> for one of his staff signing decision, uh, decisions. So on, on Thursday, Urban Meyer hired former uh, University of Ohio strength and conditioning uh, coach Chris Doyle, and this drew immediate backlash from the league uh, and from the, oh, what is it called? Here, let me, I need to go in my notes here really quickly. Uh, from the Fritz Polar Alliance, remember that name. It'll come back into play later. Um, so Thursday, Urban Meyer hired former University of Iowa strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle. And Doyle earlier this year was uh, suspended, and he reached a separation agreement from Iowa in June as a result of allegations against him made by multiple former black players of racial discrimination. Uh, Doyle had been a coach at Iowa since 1999. In fact, I believe he was the highest paid strength and conditioning coach in the nation. And there were reports that emerged early this year from multiple former players in which they accused him of racial discrimination. There was one player that said he was so dejected from playing football at University of Iowa, he stopped completely and he pointed to Easter Bees or not Easter Bees. Uh, we just got done talking about the Texans. I apologize. Uh, he just he, he was he talked about Doyle's discrimination and his bullying as one of the main reasons for him being out of football. Uh, some of the issues raised specifically uh, were that black and white players weren't held to specific standards, or they weren't held to the same standards, rather. Black players were mistreated, they were cursed at, they were thrown racial slurs at, and Doyle and other assistants made racist remarks, and black players felt like they had to conform to specific ways of dress and behavior. That's what the article said specifically. And no more than a day later after all of that comes into light where people start, you know, uh, complaining about the hire and people start uh, blasting the hire. Uh, that all happened on Thursday. And legitimately, as I was doing the research for this story last night, I got a notification and a new story came out that Doyle was actually resigning from his position. So it only took 24 hours for uh, those who were against the hire, which should be everybody, based on the fact that he reached a settled agreement on these allegations of racial discrimination, which when you reach an agreement like that, to Mike Wilbon's point, who made a fantastic point on part of the interruption yesterday, if you reach an agreement like that, that means there's some truth to those claims. It's not it's not um, 100% true. It's not 100% false, but there is some level of truth to those claims if you reached an agreement for your release in that aspect. And uh, as I said, so last night, uh, Doyle brought his res resignation to Urban Meyer, and this came after the Fritz Pollard Alliance, which is an organization devoted to championing diversity in the NFL. Um, it is comprised of scouts, coaches, front office people, um, other personnel from the NFL, and other sports professionals as well. Um, that's, that's their little slogan. That's their tagline. Uh, the executive director, uh, I, I can't remember his name, he absolutely blasted the NFL and this hire, and Doyle went to Meyer last night and gave him his resignation. And uh, the thing that's mind-blowing is that Urban Meyer was defending this hire. He said, uh, I've known Doyle for 20 years, I have vetted this hire, we called, we talked, we had difficult conversations, and I was confident that we were going to be able to put all of that behind him and none of that was going to happen with this job in the NFL. 
I need to be careful here because I'm at, I'm actually pretty worked up about this. I have said from the very beginning, it was literally one of the first mains that I first video and first topics I've ever made on this show. One of the first things that I ever said on the show was that I was not sold on the Urban Meyer hiring, and this is the exact freaking reason why I was not so sold on the hiring. Is he a good football coach? Yes. But wherever he's gone in his football career, whether that's University of Florida, whether that's University of Utah, whether that's University of Ohio State, wherever he has gone in his football career, he has made questionable decisions and has weaseled himself out of there. Whether that's due to health reasons, whether that's just plain retirement, am I doubting that he actually has health reason or health, health problems? No. But is he using that as a scapegoat? I would bet yes. So wherever he has gone, he's had issues, he's weaseled himself out of bad situations, and as good as a football coach as he is, he is, I, I think I used the phrasing, he is the ultimate opportunist. I said the only reason that he's taking this job in Jacksonville in to begin with is the fact that Jacksonville has a generational quarterback coming in with a draft, and they have the most cap space in the league, and Urban Meyer has complete control of that franchise. Any, any, any coach would come out of retirement for that. And, you know, the statement that Urban Meyer released saying that he vetted Doyle and he has vetted pretty much every member of his staff and that they did a good job of it. <laughs> oh, it's laughable. I mean, Meyer is horrible at character judgment. At University of Florida, he had 31 players in his tenure arrested. 31 players. Now, a lot of those charges were ultimately dropped and they ranged from something like... Um, Possession, a possession of drugs, to firearms, uh, to to some domestic abuse, all of that stuff. Um, Thirty-one different players in his tenure at Florida were arrested, and trust me, look, I'm wearing a Florida State shirt right now. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Like I, I'm no stranger to having players be arrested or have allegations. Dalvin Cook had a fight in a gas station in Tallahassee. Jameis Winston stole crab legs from Publix. Like, I'm no stranger to this. 31 is an insane amount of players to have arrested in the, what, the five years, like the 10 years that he had at University of Florida? And not only that, he also vetted Zach Smith for not only his Florida coaching staff, but also his Ohio State coaching staff with the knowledge that there were allegations against him for domestic abuse. And it is really only because of the fact that Urban Meyer is such a damn good football coach that a lot of the dirt in the back of his pickup truck is overlooked. Urban Meyer vetting, and I, I know that you can't see this uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast on Spotify or Google Podcasts. I know you can't see me, but when I'm saying the word vet, I have the most gigantic quotations that I could possibly make with my fingers. He vetted these people, and to say that he thinks he did a pretty good job is completely tone-deaf of what the NFL should be allowing or, or, or is about. I mean, he's walking into a room of men, not college kids, he's walking, in, walking into a room of men in which 70 to 80% of those men are going to be black and could have been defended or offended by the things that Chris Doyle did and said when he was at University of Iowa. It lacks it lacks logic, it's very tone-deaf, and it's very Urban Meyer. 
Meyer is a horrible judge of character development, and I'm sure that there's somebody out there who is going to label me as an Urban Meyer hater. This is not the first time that I have been cold on Urban Meyer on the show. It's literally been since day one that I did not feel good about this hire, and this is exactly why. You can go ahead and label me what you want, but you can't avoid the fact that this is classic Urban Meyer in which his his resume as a football coach is going to get him a lot of free passes in situations and for decisions that he makes that are just not good decisions. And, you know, if you are the NFL, this is what you should have expected when you welcomed him among the ranks of NFL coaches. This is what you should have expected if you're the NFL. This is what you should have expected if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is what you should have expected. This is the type of guy that you're hiring. Um, And again, I know that he's a fantastic football coach. I know that he's a great football mind. But as we continually see in the NFL, and especially in college football, uh, it's becoming more and more apparent that it doesn't matter how good at football you are. If you are a weaselly person, if you do bad things, that that, that doesn't have as long of a leash anymore. That, That old boy mentality that a lot of analysts have pointed to. And all of this really is the exact reason as to why I was so hesitant of him getting a job out of retirement with no NFL experience, making the jump from college to the NFL. And I'm not going to say that this is a foreboding or this is foreshadowing for how Myers' tenure with the Jaguars is going to go. But I will say I can... I can reasonably see a world in which Urban Meyer continues to be very ignorant, continues to be very uh, egotistical in his decision-making and his hiring process. I mean, and, and sure, you can, you can look at me and say, well, that you're just, you know, naming names, you're upset at Urban Meyer. I'm saying, look, he vetted and approved, uh, and it's not like this situation with Doyle happened like a couple of years ago. This discrimination stuff happened in June that's when all or June of last year that's when all of this happened it hasn't even been a year since all those allegations went down and he vetted this guy that he's known for 20 years to be a coach in the NFL it's come on come on it's ridiculous it's stupid stupid I ah this is this uh, back to the point. I'm I'm not sure that this is going to be vindicative of the way that Urban Meyer's career is going to go with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but I can reasonably see a world in which three years from now, uh, not only has Urban Meyer tarnished Trevor Lawrence, but he has basically left the Jaguars in the exact same place that they are right now. Maybe I think they'll be better off, but my point being, like in three or four years from now, when Meyer's contract is come is becoming up, there's going to be some excuse. There's going to be some way that he will try to weasel out of this and the Jaguars are going to be have the potential to have completely soiled their generational quarterback and um, I don't know maybe I should check myself maybe that's going a little bit too far but this is exactly what I was worried about when I, when the Jaguars were considering and actually hired Urban Meyer so to close the show today, we're going to do another edition of the Front Office Frenzy. And if you don't know what the Front Office Frenzy is, it is a segment in which I draw a team randomly for a hat. This hat to be specific. Oop, let's put this back in a hat. And you can see all of these names here. I'm going to basically pick one of these teams from random. And I have 15 minutes or less to make a logical and reasonable game plan for that team to be in the playoffs by next season. 
and I have basically no notes in front of me. What I have is a, is, a, is a Microsoft Word document with bullet points, small bullet points that can help me out for every single NFL team. But apart from that, I basically have to lay out a perfect logical game plan for how that team can be in the playoffs by the end of next season. And I have to do it all off the top of my head. And uh, I get no help with this. I get no help. So today's team is going to be... Let's go to the bottom of the pile. Let's go to the bottom of the pile today. Kind of been drawing from the top. Okay. Oh, had a couple. I had one that was stuck to my fingers here. Okay. Oh, this is going to be a fun one. It's kind of we talked about the Patriots already a little bit today with the JJ Watt being released, but uh, this is a really good one to do. Okay, the New England Patriots. Let me just find the Patriots in my note here. And again, all I have in my notes are basically a couple of bullet points. I've got the record. I've got the cap space. I've got the amount of draft picks. And I have like two or three small big bullet points, uh, a free a free agent or, or maybe uh, an important draft pick. Literally just small things to help guide me along. Uh, so I don't completely just ramble on about about nothing. So, with that being said, here we go. Start your timer right now. So, things to know about the New England Patriots. Finished the season 7-9 and nine last year. Uh, they have $62 million in cap space, and they have seven picks in the NFL draft this upcoming draft. The biggest thing to note, and I think this is important to get out of the way early, is that the Patriots were missing multiple defensive starters last season due to the opt-out. Those players included Dante Howtower, Patrick Chung. Um, those people will be back, and they still have uh, some time on their contracts. They're not free agents either. So that by itself, so that by itself is going to make the New England Patriots a better team straight out of the gate. Um, specifically, Dante Howtower is going to be a great return. Uh, he's going to definitely shore up that run game. The run game was, or the run defense was one of the defense's worst attributes for the New England Patriots last season. So that's going to shore up that run defense right away. But I think the biggest question for New England this offseason is not only finding offensive weapons, but finding a quarterback to replace Cam Newton. Because, let's be honest, Cam Newton was a dumpster fire last season. He had basically two good games at the start of the season, and then he looked like he had no idea what he was doing for the rest of the time. So the, the New England Patriots need a quarterback, and again, they have $62 million in cap space. They can get somebody like Deshaun Watson or Dak Prescott, or even Carson Wentz if they really wanted to try and make a play on Wentz, but I think Belichick is smarter than, uh, smarter than that. But regardless, that quarterback for the New England Patriots cannot be Cam Newton next season. Uh, I think that would be a ginormous mistake. And as we talked about on the last episode of the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, we, we basically predicted the starting quarterback for every team in the NFL. If you haven't watched that video, go give it a watch. I said that Gardner Minshew would be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots uh, this next season. And again, I'm going to double down on that sentiment. I think Gardner Minshew would be a fantastic quarterback for the New England Patriots. Look, odds are is that he probably ends up staying in Jacksonville as a backup. But on the off chance that Gardner Minshew, who is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL, the, the odds that he 
decides to try and leave Jacksonville. He tries to request a trade. Uh, on the off chance of that happening, I think he would be a perfect fit in New England, and basically here's why. One of Belichick's best attributes as a head coach and a general manager has always been being able to turn other teams trash into the Patriots treasure and Gardner Minshew would be a perfect example of that I'm not calling Gardner Minshew trash trash uh, he had obviously a 1 in 15 season uh, he wasn't the best quarterback on the face of the earth but he certainly was not the worst I can think of a couple of more quarterbacks that were worse in the NFL this season than Gardner Minshew. Uh, Gardner Minshew is under contract for two more years. I think he's got two more years on the contract with the Jaguars. But obviously, the Jaguars are going to be drafting Trevor Lawrence this year. I mean, Urban Meyer was literally sitting in front of Trevor Lawrence during Trevor Lawrence's pro day talking with Dabo Sweeney. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen more surefire confidence that the Jaguars are going to be taking this player at number one. Um, and, and again, Minshew is not the best arm talent. He doesn't have the best you know, legs. He's not the most gifted physically. What he is, is a fantastic leader. And if we take a look at what Belichick likes in a quarterback and what Belichick was able to do with Cam Newton, who's not a good leader uh, this season, the, the Patriots were still seven and nine by the end of the season in a season in which they shouldn't have been anywhere close. So Gardner Inshue is without a doubt in my mind, a very good cheap upgrade. Uh, for the quarterback position for the New England Patriots. And uh, you can basically use the cap space that you have to try and get other players while Gardner Minshew is a quarterback for the New England Patriots. Uh, another option is Ryan Fitzpatrick. It really comes down to who you want. Do you want uh, a, a similar style player who has more experience? He's a journeyman quarterback. He's been in the league for longer in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Or do you want the younger quarterback in Gardner Minshew? And again, I would take either of those. Um, I, I think I would lean probably more towards Gardner Minshew because he is younger. He is, he's got the longer contract. Uh, there's no worry about him retiring anytime soon. And you may say, well, why not draft a rookie quarterback? And my answer to that is really because Belichick, that's, that's not Belichick's MO really. I mean, apart from Brady, he's only drafted what Jared Stidham and Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, that's not None, and, not, and obviously Jimmy G is in uh, the 49ers camp right now, but Jared Stidham hasn't looked like anything special at all. So not only is Belichick not that great at drafting, and I say that after he drafted Tom Brady, but regardless, in recent history, before everybody jumps on my case, he's not been good at drafting quarterbacks. And I don't think that Belichick's that crazy about any of the QBs in the draft. And I'm not sure that when it comes to the time for the Patriots to pick in the first round, that there's A, going to be a quarterback available, and B, a quarterback available that Belichick actually likes. So I think Gardner Minshew would be a really good guy to run the offense for this next couple of seasons. He's a band-aid quarterback until you can find somebody else. But Belichick, when you take a look at what he was able to do with Cam Newton, will be able to do much, much better with somebody like Gardner Minshew. He is a good locker room leader. He's not the most gifted athletically, but Belichick, can, as, as I keep alluding to, uh, if you can go 7-9 with Cam Newton, you can do much better with Gardner Minshew, and he's going to be a better leader for that locker room. Um, so that leads us to the $62 million in cap space in free agency, which this makes it so fun for me. Like, 
for a, a team like the Vikings that are in negative cap space, I'm like, well, you really can't do anything here. You basically got to restructure your contract. But for the Patriots, I can go full Madden GM mode here and just start naming off names that I'm signing in free agency. Um, whoever the quarterback is for the New England Patriots, he is going to need a weapon or two or three or four. And the good news is that this year's wide receiver free agency class is probably one of the best I have seen in a long, long time. Um, as long as you sign a number one wide receiver, you can consider this free agency a success for the New England Patriots. As long as you get one, you're golden. Uh, Kenny Galladay, uh, Allen Robinson, Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, if you want to trade for like an Odell Beckham Jr. from Cleveland, who Cleveland has kind of shown that they can win without Odell, uh, and they don't necessarily need Odell, so obviously there's been rumors on and off about Odell changing teams this season. As long as you get one, uh, Godwin, Galladay, Robinson, Juju Smith-Schuster, as long as you get a, a wide receiver one in this free agency, you can consider that a pretty good success for the Patriots. They need to get a guy because Nikhil Harry is a bust. Cam Newton had nobody to throw to last year, even if he wanted to or even if he was able to. Um, he, they basically had nobody. Um, uh, Jacoby Myers is a, is a nice young slot piece. I think Jacoby Myers is probably the best wide receiver on that team. Uh, Nikhil Harry has not shown me enough to warrant that. I think Nikhil Harry is a straight out bust, to be honest with you. Regardless is that the Patriots need to find offensive weapons in this free agency. And there are a lot of wide receivers that will be available to help them do that. Uh, also, they can definitely sure up the defensive line. Uh, JJ Watt, as we mentioned earlier in the show, by chance, I have no idea that I was going to choose the Patriots today. Uh, he would be a great fit. I think to really get some pass rush in the AFC East, uh, especially with some more passing teams like the Buffalo Bills, who have choose, chosen to be a, a, a more centralized pass team with Josh Allen. Uh, J.J. Watt will probably probably rush all over whoever is unlucky enough to be the Jets starting quarterback next season, whether that's a rookie QB, whether that's Darnold. And obviously, Tua uh, is a young QB in Miami, so I think Watt could be a, uh, basically a feast guy. Um, he can absolutely have a feast in the AFC East. But uh, if you're not going to get J.J. Watt, maybe somebody like Jadavian Clowney is somebody that I would probably go after. Now, Clowney is one of those guys that you could probably get at a cheaper price because, let's be honest, Clowney has never lived up to his potential or his hype that he was as a number one pick. Um, and again, one of the things that I said at the very beginning of this segment is that Bill Belichick is perennially good at turning others' teams' trash into his... Into, the Patriots treasure. Just look at how many players have gone to the New England Patriots over the past 20 years while Tom Brady was there, and even while he wasn't there, but mostly while he was there. Look at how many players went to New England and had revitalized careers for one reason or another. It's a serious thing. I don't know how Belichick does it. It's one of the things that makes him one of the best coaches this league has ever seen. He can turn trash into treasure. And again, I'm not saying people like Gardner Minshew or, J or Jadavian Clowning are trash, but they're definitely not the first pick for a lot of NFL teams. And that really aids itself well 
to Belichick. So I think if you if you sign somebody like Clowney, you'll get him at a cheaper price. He's not he's he, he'll be up and down in sacks. He's been up and down in sacks pretty much his entire career. Sometimes it'll be like basically like a coin flip. You'll either get a lot of sacks or you won't get a lot of sacks. But what really Clowney is really good at is penetrating the line and really helping in the run game. And that's something that the Patriots really desperately needed this past season. Again, that will help with the return of Hightower at the linebacker position. But the uh, Patriots do need some help on the defensive line. And also, I think they, the Patriots have a couple of, of offensive linemen that are in free agency as well. Um, uh, the left guard, whose name is escaping right now. It's always the offensive linemen's names that I forget when I'm doing this segment. Always the offensive linemen. Um, uh, I know that Andrews is the center. He is, I think he played all 16 games this year, but he had a pretty bad injury in 2019. Uh, I think signing Andrews is is a really good uh, move. I would probably sign him over this mystery guard, who I'm forgetting this name, unfortunately. Uh, but he's been one of the best guards in the league. And I think that if you had to choose, uh, I would probably let him go. Uh, and I know that's kind of a confusing decision for some people, but if you're bringing in all this offensive talent, um, I think that the Patriots have a really good, uh, they had, they had like a, they found a gem in the draft. It was a, it was a, it was a guard that they found who, as I was researching for uh, a different segment at one point, uh, I remember him, him, him being like a six round pick and he had one of the highest, uh, rankings at his position this season. Uh, Patriots fans, if you know who I'm talking about, please put it in the comment section. Uh, but I would probably let Joe go. Uh, oh, that's his name, Joe Thunny. That's his name. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would probably let Joe go um, and create some and create some more cap space. You have sixty two million, but trust me, that sixty two million can go very quickly, especially if you're signing multiple offensive weapons and a high end defensive end. That'll go very quickly. Um, another person I would resign is James White, who is one of the best pass-catching running backs in the entire NFL, probably only second or third to somebody like Alvin Kamara over in New Orleans. Uh, but other than that, I, I think James White is somebody that you need to resign. He's shown some spurts in the run game as well, and if you really want to, you can try and address the running back position later in the draft with like maybe your fourth or fifth round pick. Um, I think that's pretty much all I would say for about the free agency. Again, $62 million in cap space is a lot of fun to work with because you can just start going full video game mode on everything, saying, I want this guy, I want this guy, I want that guy. Um, and uh, that, that's really fun to do. So moving on to the draft, I'm not quite sure where we are on time, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm running uh, a little low because we talked about the QB situation for a little while. Um, the, the, the Patriots have seven picks in this year's draft. Uh, I don't think they have a third-round pick. I think I have this in my notes somewhere. Um, yeah, they they don't have a third-round pick. So with with the number one uh, with the number one pick, with their first-round pick, you know, a lot of people are projecting that the Patriots take a quarterback. And I'm just saying, I don't know that that's Belichick's M.O. to take a quarterback like that. Uh, I think he'll probably try and make do with uh, with somebody else, whether that's whether that's Carson Wentz, whether that's Deshaun Watson, whether that's somebody like Gardner Minshew. Obviously, there's different. I, I would rather have somebody like Deshaun Watson over Gardner Minshew, but it's again, I don't think the Patriots can send enough to Houston to be able to warrant that trade. And this and and it doesn't look like the the Texans are going to be trading him anyway, based on the other conversations from today. But regardless, uh, the first round pick for the Patriots, I think they should take the uh, tight end from Florida, uh, Kyle Pitts. Normally, I would really make fun of picking a tight end in the first round. Uh, so uh, like I laughed hysterically when the Lions drafted T.J. Hawkinson. 
He's been, he, he ended up being a pro bowler, but still, I, I genuinely frown on tight ends in the first round. Uh, but I think Kyle Pitts out of Florida, he's got more of a wide receiver build. He's very uh, attuned to like maybe like a Darren Waller in today's NFL. Uh, he's got really good upside. He's tremendous physically, and he really has the potential to be the next great tight end in this league. And uh, the, the Patriots have been really lackluster at tight end basically since Gronkowski and le- uh, retired. And um, I think it would be really good for the Patriots to draft a tight end, especially if they get a wide receiver in free agency like I think that they should. Uh, That'll be really dynamic. That'll give the quarterback, whoever that may be, another person to throw to. Uh, Kyle Pitts has the next opportunity to be the next great tight end in the league in a couple of years. I would take that chance. And even not, he's got a wide receiver's body anyway. I think he's like 6'7", like a really big wide receiver. Uh, so I would draft Kyle Pitts tight end out of Florida with my first round pick. A uh, second round pick. Uh, regard. I again, I would go offense. I mean, the defense for the Patriots was genuinely pretty good this year, except for the run game. Uh, there, that's something that you can patch up in free agency. Uh, round two, I would take T.J. Vasher out of Texas Tech. Uh, this guy has the potential to be the D.K. Metcalf of this draft. He's like six five, uh, two hundred and twenty pounds. Um, he, and he can be an absolute freak. Uh, those of you who have watched any Texas tech football over the past couple of years, recognize this guy's name. And I think that this guy can definitely be a, a number one wide receiver in a couple of years, if not a number two wide receiver. Again, uh, Nikhil Harry, who they drafted a couple of years ago, has been a complete bust at wide receiver. I think this guy would be a more sure bet than Nikhil Harry. He's got some uh, mechanic issues, but Again, he has the opportunity to be the DK Metcalf of this draft. Uh, and if you don't want to take a wide receiver in second round, you don't want to go so heavy on the offense, you should probably take another defensive end, sure up that defensive line, maybe somebody like a Rashad Weaver. Um, if he's still available at that point, you have the potential to get, to get a steal for somebody that's dropped from the first round. And the Patriots don't have a third-round pick, like I said, and as I we've done on the show a number of times, or as we've said, I don't know if we said it ex- explicitly, but uh, when we talk about the draft, we only cover the team's first three picks or or the picks up to the third round so I don't have to just make completely ridiculous calls about the the no names that are going to get drafted in in the fourth seventh round uh the 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 people that as my dad would say the who um so that's the end of the segment I don't know how long we went for I felt like I talked a long time I uh, so stop your stopwatches now um, I always feel like I talk more than I actually do. I don't think I've gone over 15 minutes yet. I think I've hit the mark every single time. But regardless, that was this that was this show's edition of the Front Office Frenzy. We covered the Patriots today. We've already covered the 49ers, the Vikings, and the Red and the, I almost called them the Redskins again. The Washington Football Team. We covered the Patriots today. Tune in next time to figure out if we do your team next. Uh, that is the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening and watching. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. I hope you stay safe. If you're in a part of the United States or a part of the world that is experiencing that turmoil with the weather, uh, thank you so much again for a a great week of shows this week. We'll be back on the grind on Monday next week. We'll get back on our schedule. Uh, thank you again so much for everything. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. This has the, been the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, Episode 17, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. And behalf of that, and on that note, stay hard-headed, but have a nice day. <laughs>